Hey all, we're back. Welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're wrapping up 2023 with a doozy of a film, Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things, which is based on a 1992 novel by Alistair Gray and stars Emma Stone as a kind of female Frankenstein's monster in a fantastical version of Victorian England and then, um, you know, various countries in Europe. Um, She's been created by an eccentric and reclusive scientist named Dr. Godwin, she calls him God, um, Baxter, um, played by Willem Dafoe. Um, He bears the hideous scars of his own sadistic mad scientist father's experiments on him. He's also impotent. He also has wrecked digestion, which causes him to like burp magical colored, you know, um, bubbles. (laughs) Um, So there's, yeah, there's a lot of the fantastical going on too. Um, Godwin recovered the body of a pregnant, he makes, he creates Bella by recovering the body of a pregnant woman who is disastrously married and who, and pregnant, and she committed suicide and, and he, and he transplants her still living baby's brain into the dead woman's body. And that's how he creates Bella Baxter. She has a baby's poor motor skills and non-existent impulse control at the beginning, but as her mind matures, she develops a questing sexuality and a desire to educate herself also follows pretty quickly out of that soon she fix out fixates on a, a loose a loose lawyer named duncan wetterburn played by mark ruffalo he d- he sweeps her away to continental europe where bella continues her journey of, of exploration and self-discovery okay let's start off with the loris's take carry it away Okay, I like this better than anyone I've spoken to or any, <laughs> any of the reviews I've read. Um, I really enjoyed this film. I was really, I was, I was mostly excited by its ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, the delights, the visual delights are many. Emma Stone is wonderful. All of the, all of the actors are wonderful, and like, there's so much for the eye and the ear. Um, but really, it's it was the shape of Bella's story that excited me. And I liked it um, because it's certainly a feminist film, but it's mm-hmm. bigger than feminism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was really heartened. I think ultimately it's a very optimistic film. It was about um, humankind's ability to choose, if you ask me. Uh, mm. to decide to be better. There are philosophical questions throughout, but um, this is a coming of age story for Bella. And she learns through like a variety of means. Like first she learns through her sense of touch, you know, through stabbing, through eating as her child brain grows. Mm-hmm. Uh, then she discovers sex and she learns through that. And then she uh, becomes a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and she continues to learn through all of those three sort of like realms or whatever you want to mm-hmm. say uh, and they all serve her um they all but not no single thing is the key no single thing is pathologized like every sort of set of experiences or emotions has a range of uh, outcomes and possibilities so i mean um i you know it's exciting uh, that mm-hmm. bella's sexuality uh so, like is not pathologized in any way and she has a great deal of like choice and you know glee um around sex but you also see how sex can drive people to madness you see it in duncan her her lover mark ruffalo who's amazing i was really really delighted by his performance he has this like crazy lisp um and he's like a brilliant i didn't know this he's like a brilliant physical comedian mm-hmm. um so i you know it's like no single drive is bad or good 
um, mm-hmm. except um, choice. And uh, throughout, you know, Bella practices choosing. And one of the main questions at the heart of the film is like, can people choose to be better? Um, And I don't know how, I mean, it's interesting. It's not like the film gives that much space to the opposite point of view. There is Mm -hmm. a literal cynic as a character played by Gerard Carmichael, who's wonderful. I mean, I love him as a stand-up comic and as a Mm -hmm. persona in general. He's Mm -hmm. perfectly cast as the cynic. He's elegant. He's alluring. There's even something like um, kind about him. You know, like Mm -hmm. many cynics are like hurt people. Um, And that there's something charming about that. And he has all that charm of the hurt. And and Bella's character recognizes that in him, you know, recognizes that he's a hurt little boy and that he adopts the pose of cynicism to protect himself. And we can see that. But like at the end of the day, the po or the mm, the side of cynicism, it's not like it gets a full it's full due necessarily. And mm-hmm. I'm fine with that because I'm not a cynic. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and cynicism is sort of like easily deflated by Bella and by this film. Um and uh, I, I don't know. I, I loved um, that none of the characters were essentially evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, God or Godwin, her mad scientist, doctor, father, it, mm-hmm. b- does both monstrous things uh, like creating her um, and very kind things. He, you know, he treats her as a father. He does control her at times. He also lets her go. He delights in her. He loves her. He wants to trap her. These are all things that people do. Um, And part of any like coming of age story is that, you know, you do in, in a way have to know where you come from. But I like that in this film, it's not the end all and be all. And I'm such a fan of that because like I I'm weighed down by the culture's emphasis on authenticity and Mm. the what I think is a losing project of finding oneself. I think Mm. finding oneself the like the way that's set up as a uh as an idea is that you go hunting to look for a thing <laughs> that's mm-hmm. like stable. Um, but Bella shows us that like, no one invents oneself. So even though she does, um, she has, she, you know, she has this odd place in the world of being uh, a woman who is dead. Uh, you know, is she the woman who drowned or is she the baby of the woman who drowned? Cause that baby's mm-hmm. brain is her brain. Um, is she, you know, both mother and daughter to herself? Is she neither? It's mm-hmm. a question and it's brought up. It's even named in the film, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really seem to matter. At the end of the day, she does find out, you know, that she was this woman. Uh, she does go back and she meets the woman's husband. We'll talk about that. He's he's a bad man. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes to sit in the, you know, in the old home that was the woman's before she threw herself off a bridge. And that doesn't seem to matter either. Bella is who she is. Um, and she's become that way through adventure and decision making. So this the the fact that like the story is uh, um, it it does not invest in essences. It does not invest in, in finding yourself. It invests in creating yourself. I absolutely love that. And I thought it was brilliant and actually really inspiring. And I needed to see this before new year's. (laughs) So so I'm just full of like, I'm just, you know, Susie sunshine about this movie. I thought it was freaking wonderful. What did you think, Eileen? Well, (laughs) Um, I'm trying to be persuaded by you. I'm really, I'm literally going to sit down and and think through the whole movie again based on based on your take. 
because I have to still, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a review for Jacobin and it's not a very good review. Um, and this is, admittedly, I, I, I think I was disappointed just because I loved The Favorite so much, 2018, the, the movie The Favorite, which was the same teaming of, of you, know, you know, the three main, you could argue anyway, the three of the main talents. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos, the director, Tony McNamara as screenwriter, and Emma Stone as lead actor, or one of the leading actors in that case. Um, and I just adored it, and I really had super high hopes just from seeing the preview and everything and hearing about it. So I went with maybe too high hopes for me anyway, or I'm just like seeing it not correctly. I mean, I get, you know, I acknowledge all that you're saying is quite right. For me, what what the main issue for me or the main problem I was having is, you know, it's a kind of fantastical version of Victorian England and Victorian era Europe. But part, a lot of what is removed in this vision is, is the way, is this, the absolutely dire and impossible to meet standards of the culture they were sort of mouthed by the men in, in Bella's personal life, but they're never reinforced by authorities, by the public, by mm -hmm. no one witnessing her. There's no resistance. So, mm -hmm. so it puts Bella in this quite oddly comfortable void in which to invent herself without, there's hardly anyone pressing back against her. It's the weakest possible, you know, the early attempt by, her loving father and crazy father figure, Godwin. <laughs> you know, initially, of course, he's trying to keep her inside. She's fighting him more and more. And so they start bringing her outside. And then, you know, he doesn't stop her when she goes running off um, um, to Europe with Duncan. Um, then Duncan is probably the major figure until we get to the, the, the dead woman's husband. He's the major figure of um, sort of oppressive values. He keeps telling her, you can't do this or that or say this or that. It's just not done. That's his version of upholding a kind of public standard. And But they're like in, in restaurants where wealthy, respectable people are dining while he's saying this, but no one is staring. Nobody is mm -hmm. like, no one is, res no one is reacting. There would have been like <laughs> beyond scandal, <laughs> beyond outrage. Every citizen practically would have been on their feet. There are scenes where, where she's going out alone. She gets impatient with Duncan. She's going out on her own to explore. I think they're in Lisbon initially. Mm -hmm. the, the, the film is set by chapters. So it's like London and then Lisbon and then I think Paris and then back to London. I think it's roughly that. Um, at any rate, she's, 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 she's kind of got, they are amusing versions. She's designing her own outfits, essentially. So she's wearing at the top half those mutton, mutton sleeve very high necked uh, little jackets and shirts that are that are very modest and body covering, and then underneath she's just wearing these little these little wafty panties that leave <laughs> her whole lower body pretty much naked, and she's just walking around publicly. And again, there's no reaction. There's, there's no officials from the local asylum who were like packing mm -hmm. in supposedly transgressing women. It took very little for a woman to get slapped into an insane asylum. For untoward behavior, none of this happens. There's no cops. There's no. There, there's nothing. So the the battle that 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 Bella has to fight is seems so tiny. There's so little resistance that for me, I just couldn't feel the exhilaration because I couldn't feel any drama. 
It just mm. felt like, oh, we're gonna, just going to watch Bella triumph again <laughs> over these weak-willed and fundamentally flawed men that she just easily transcends. She just transcends, transcends, transcends. She has no money worries. So even when she loses all of the money, in a way, she actually gives the money away that, that Duncan has. So they're impoverished. She just goes into sex work, and apparently it's so well-paid. There's never <laughs> a hungry moment. There's never a, there's no problem. There's no problem. Mm -hmm. So for mm -hmm. me, a portrait of inventing yourself, especially in such an era, anything like that era, is just becomes like, I don't know what we're doing here. I, there's <laughs> no one stopping her. No one apparently cares. So sure, she can become whatever she wants, but there's no resistance. So who cares? So that's where it was losing me. So I think the way, I think your way of enjoying it is the way, is like we don't see this portrayed at all, this, this particular way, this rejecting essence you're going to invent yourself as you go uh, mm -hmm. you know the, the the if you read interviews with the director mainly he's he's usually talking with emma stone they're they're big collaborators lanthimos and, and stone um they're both super proud of this it was a very difficult shoot in some way especially for emma stone um but they're both very proud of presenting a woman in a way that a woman is not usually seen that she has no shame there is no shame mm -hmm. about anything Certainly not about sexuality, but about anything. So, you know, Stone has to come up with a level of bodily boldness and freedom that's tough for, for anyone to come up with um, in, a, in a world that's still uptight about these things. Um, so they're very, very proud of, of, of that portrayal. And especially, again, about, you know, being less, you know, hung up on representing sexuality in film. And it's like, yeah, I... I I can see that. But again, for me, I just keep running up against the same thing over and over. Who couldn't invent themselves <laughs> if mm -hmm. we're born into what's essentially, well, total luxury and freedom? And it's such an opulent film. It is. It's just eye candy throughout. Very, very beautiful. The mm -hmm. costuming alone is so inventive um, that you can just beguile your eye throughout the whole film. It's very, very sumptuous throughout. But Again, it's such a soft nest for her throughout. And the moments of tension when it isn't, when she's occasionally, you know, here and there, she'll be sort of locked in again and then get out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and again, spoiler alert, we're telling everything we always do. You know, she <laughs> winds up in the most imprisoning situation when she goes back to the, the, the woman whose body she occupies, goes back to her home. Again, it's a mansion. It's always a mansion, it seems like. Or the uh -huh. best hotel or the whatever. Or the nicest whorehouse anybody ever worked in. Or whatever. <laughs> There's never any scraping when, you know, of, of, of of unfortunately realistic conditions um, against, against her or so rarely, so, so briefly. Um, anyway, you know, she's confronted with a man who's a, a complete sadist with none of Godwin's, you know, you know, who does some sadistic things. There are these monstrous creatures he's created that are different kinds of animals sewn together, basically. <laughs> um, so he does all sorts of things like that without any feeling about it, because that's how, how he was raised himself. And she doesn't have any feeling about it either. But at any rate, this guy is like an irredeemable, vicious sadist. Um, and mm -hmm. he has her locked in. And, you know, he's basically threatening her with annihilation. And, you know, but she quickly outwits him and gets out. Mm -hmm. So it, for me, it just keeps like uh, it seemed like a, such a long movie for that very reason. I just couldn't find I couldn't find any real conflict <laughs> that wasn't so easily overcome that I was just like, OK, but I don't know how long I can celebrate the growth of, of Bella 
and the mm-hmm. self-defense of Bella when there's nothing stopping Bella from being anything she wants. So that that was my main problem throughout. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, it's certainly given the big questions that the film is dealing with. I was taken out of, uh, I mean, I, I didn't have that problem of not finding the drama, but a lot, you know, several mm-hmm. reviewers wrote about that as well, that mm-hmm. it's just it's kind of difficult to hang in there to see her triumph again and again. Yeah. Um, but, and I think it, it's also, I, for me, I it was easy to let that slide because of the fairy tale tone of it. Um, yeah, so it, true. It seemed, yeah, it seems yeah. very removed from the real world. Mm. Um, but well, but, but uh, then it'll try to evoke the like the exactly. let's talk about the 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 one of the big turning points. She's she, I think she's I think she started to read philosophy by then. Yes. Um, but when when she's first uh, when the cynic supposedly um, um, he says I'll show you the real world and he shows her at a great distance they're on shipboard and they look down on a kind of desert. Don't even know what you're looking at it's so far removed where there are impoverished people <laughs> way way below and they gaze down upon them and she's horrified and she cries and she winds up st- taking all of duncan's money to give she thinks it's going to go to the poor she gives it to two men on shipboard who are clearly never going to give it to the poor but at any rate mm-hmm. so that's her only and it's so odd because again you're like can't they just get off in the first port go down <laughs> any any you know, of uh, at least half the streets and there'll be poverty. But but clearly, Lanthimos, for whatever reason, doesn't want it. And McNamara, they don't want that. Mm-hmm. They don't want any of the tremendous, you're living in Victorian wealth right next to Victorian poverty that's so abject, you know, if you, if you weren't raised in it, you would scream in horror. Right. So he, they don't want that. So that's all put into this strange desert community way below. And then we don't, I thought when she became a, you know, when she had no money, she leaves Duncan. I thought, oh, now she's going to have to experience poverty. And there's, she doesn't. She it's true. Apparently and and you're a worker. So. Right. And it, um, I, I did sort of roll my eyes when her fellow sex worker and like eventual lover mm. among many asks, uh, like invites her to a, you know, gives her a socialist pamphlet. <laughs> they start going to meetings, which you don't yeah. really see. Um, so it is odd to name socialism, right. um, but not depict the conditions that lead yeah. to the conclusions of socialism, you know? So, um, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I didn't miss it. I've seen, you know, there's a lot of poverty. Well, well sure. Of poverty but, history, but, but, yeah. but with, I guess the only point to make is without it, why have it? She can't possibly mature in the some of the ways they're suggesting without they're saying they keep suggesting she's experiencing the whole world. That's what uh-huh. the, the madam played by Catherine Hunter, a great, great actor, is playing the madam of the of the house where she works, mm-hmm. um, who says, you know, you've got to experience the whole world. And so she has all these sexual experiences, you know, all different men. Some of it's quite brutal. And, you know, but even the brutal stuff, she's like, meh. Again, she's raised by Godwin, so you can't impress her with brutality, right? You know, so she's fine with that. And and but it's such limited experience overall of what's of what of any world that we know that you're just like okay. But so again, it's just like I don't see what the how would how would it be a problem for anyone (laughs) to be free and self inventing in such circumstance. So that's where it, it just kept, I just kept getting lost. I'm just like, I, without any conflict, without any resistance, without any pushback, without any lasting harshness, how are you growing up into anything? And what is she growing up into? 
if you get to the last scene, you know, Godwin dies. She decides she's going to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. But she's been trained by him. So she's following in his footsteps. And the first thing she does is punish the horrible, the horrible man who was married to her, <laughs> the woman whose body she occupies, by sewing him together with a goat. So he's mm-hmm. a goat man. And, you know, there she is in, in her mansion um, with, you know, the housemaid and, you know, the, 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 other, the other young woman played by Margaret Qualley. Yeah. Um, who who's another Bella who has clearly somehow been rescued from death and anima- reanimated and she's still in her childlike state and you're and she's smiling and happy and you're like oh okay I, I'm just blank here I don't even know what we're <laughs> doing I don't what are we doing well it creates like, a little utopia in that in that is. house you know so but that's there's no criticism of there's no critique anywhere of like who he was you're right there's no there's no judgment even. It's apparently fine if she becomes the kind of doctor he was. Right. I guess. I, guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I kind of loved that they didn't punish him for his, like, No, they definitely, definitely not. And again, moral, you, know, you don't know what to do with him morally because he doesn't know how he was raised to be. The, the, and, he do, and he doesn't have any empathy for animals. So we're also supposed to just go with that. Always very tough for me. I yeah, the hardest thing empathy. was taking the, the brain from that goat and putting it in that sadistic man. I was like, yeah. the goat did not deserve that bastard. Yeah, body. the goat doesn't. The goat's adorable. And, and yeah. you're very much being led to believe she's going to rescue Godwin's brain. Right. And put but it in the body of the of the man of the horrible man that she killed that's what you're expecting to happen and and right. they lead you to believe it and then you see that he's the goat man so, so they destroyed the nice cute little goat and yeah. before that it's like a what is it a pig chicken i think combo yep. <laughs> and, uh, I and that, like combo. A, a french bulldog chicken um and uh there's one more uh, i'm forgetting the combos there are but they're just crudely yeah. so you can see how frankensteinian their their head will be sewn on the wrong body and they're just wandering around these 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 chimera yeah. creatures um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know, know. So, i think i thought oh, that was somewhat like sort of the point like or mm-hmm. part of one of the points if you because godwin and bella were raised so differently mm-hmm. because there's no one to impart traditional morality in Mm. that realm um they are free of finding those things like essentially horrific Mm -hmm. and i mean at the end of the day i think it does it you know it does like cause you to question well i don't know are they essentially horrific experiments like bella herself you know i mean i think that's a question that is is legitimately raised by the film should yeah but inflicting pain and you could argue suffering on on the animals that can't help it animals <laughs> yeah you know uh children <laughs> if it's suffering we don't even know how to judge what what the experience of the baby brain in the grown-up body of bella would have been yeah yeah you don't know it doesn't look like suffering in the way it's being represented but neither do the animals but you know it's certainly when you're looking at the frankensteinian and it's the stitching together so the so in other words it does take a basic quality that we we get off of frankenstein which is the horror of having done this so mm-hmm. the, the suffering of frankenstein's monster 
that you made me into this thing that is now, and of course it's, she's shunned by everyone and, you know, know, cannot, there's no way to find a mate in the world. He's condemned to a kind of hideous isolation. Um, You know, all of that stuff is just removed. So the question of whether that's a morality one can live with is again, hard for me because there's no, it's just like, yep, it's all good. <laughs> and I don't know, though. There, there's the title. Like, I feel like the title is related to everything you're saying. Uh-huh. That these creatures are pitiable. Bella's pitiable. Yeah. Godwin's pitiable. The mm-hmm. chicken, fucking whatever, you know, dog is pitiable. Yeah. Um, but are they? I mean, what, what do you make of the title, Poor Things? Oh, I think you're absolutely right about that. That seems exactly right. That we have categories of beings that that are the poor things in the world, that are per- because they're perceived as either either condemned to a kind of lesserness or mm-hmm. and or well usually it's and and they're suffering. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but can we eradicate suffering by saying we're going to eradicate the whole idea of poor things? I don't know. I don't think so. Doesn't well, pain kind of come ahead of <laughs> of our categories? <laughs> Doesn't my experience, I would think, but of course, can, we can't think out of our out of our categories. I guess. Yeah, I mean, certainly I mean, seems basic but, to biological existence. It, it does. It does, and it and it's uh, like obviously Bella had pain. She had suffering. Her body carries the scar of the child they removed from her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, she has chosen a certain kind of freedom. She has chosen to make like conscious choices Mm -hmm. that improve her lot. And um, I mean, the point is well taken that it's easier for her than it is for most beings. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think it has no problem with inflicting pain any more than apparently receiving pain. Oh, I don't know. It's true of the husband. Yes. On that, on that sadistic Mm. man, she inflicts pain. Yeah. Well, you know, I just mean like her first experiences in the brothel with the more, she will acknowledge they're brutal, you know, Uh but she doesn't, it doesn't bother, it doesn't seem to bother her any more than her own inclination to, to stab, slap, whatever seems to bother her. Of course, from Mm -hmm. that, you don't know what is she reacting to when she sees the poor people who are naked and suffering. And what is she registering? The abjectness rather than the, than the physical suffering? I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. Well, they're trapped for one thing, and we know she doesn't like that. They're in a pit, and they can't get out. Right. They apparently can't get out. Yes. And for Bella, I can imagine that being, you know, the height of suffering in her mind. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, the film actually does force me to ask these questions, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like for you, it's denying those questions. Well, it's just not... It's certainly a film that's not trying to grapple with them other than, you know, they're sort of glancingly represented and you get you you have the opportunity to draw your own conclusion. But the movie isn't dramatizing them or or making them the leading issue. I in my gut, I feel like this film was refreshing because I spent the holidays with my fatalistic family members who Mm -hmm. think that you are destined to suffer. Right. right. (laughs) And it, uh, to me, this counters that. So, I I mean, I would say, I think it does have a point of view and that it, yeah, it, it acknowledges like life is suffering, but life is also more if you choose to be a conscious human being. Mm -hmm. And it, and it does, and it does very much insist that you can choose. And of course you could again argue 
lots of people can't choose. They literally can't choose. <laughs> I mean, their material circumstances, there so many things aren't aren't open to choice for so many people. That's true. I, you know, I believe that politically. I believe that every day. But you know, I also. But you're right. In that that this believe. movie is pri- seems to be just trying to say, what if we shelve all that <laughs> or shelve most of it <laughs> when we look at some other? Because you, you're right. I mean, there's. It's not like I love the idea that there's so much wallowing in victimy. No, we talk yeah. about this a lot. Does it, especially when portraying women, does it always have to be the sainted totally. victim, the poor thing? You're right in that it's so nice not to have that. Yeah, extremely refreshing, especially in a feminist film to have her not. She's in no way is she a victim the whole time. Um, No, no. Yeah, the whole way through, she maintains a kind of insouciant lack of fear. You can't (laughs) intimidate her. You you can frustrate her, but you cannot intimidate, which is so wonderful. Um, That is a great feeling. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it was just, it, it hit right at this moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think your mm-hmm. critiques are valid. For me, they didn't drag it down. For me, mm-hmm. they freed me to think beyond beyond victimhood, which I'm thinking of, you know, a, again, not just in terms of like feminism or the position of women, but just like in general, the tenor of our times, um, it, just like so much investment in victimhood as like mm-hmm. a moral good, you know, yeah. the melodramatic imagination, a sentiment, you know, the sentimental politics of suffering right. as virtue, which is extremely problematic because mm-hmm. it does deny people agency and choice. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm totally aware of the political connotations of all of this, but mm-hmm. like we need both. We need both. You can't mm-hmm. just believe that people are born to their circumstances and, you know, born to suffer and therefore virtuous. I mean, that is such a deadening loop. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, people can't just bootstrap it out either. That's an impossibility for many, but. I don't know. I, I, I needed this. <laughs> I needed it. it it's, and, and I it wish is, I, I kept reading interviews, hoping, frankly, you're saying a lot of the things I was hoping to find. I was hoping yeah. to have them say, we just want to take a giant like fire hose of agency. And just yeah. it, just for the sheer exuberant joy. That would have been thrilling to read just so I could feel like, no, this was all intentional. Mm-hmm. We got rid of all that stuff just because it so permeates. The culture, the discourse, everything else, we're just like, we're fed up. We're going to do exact, mm-hmm. we're going to counter it with this. Mm-hmm. That would have been thrilling. So far, I'm just not seeing it. Um, but but often mm-hmm. people don't consciously know what their project what is or, or won't say <laughs> for reasons, totally. you know. And when you're doing publicity, people are usually lying their heads off. Yeah, um, you can't say what it's really about. Oh yeah, <laughs> if, if you've ever worked in movies, that's the first one of the one of the first experiences post post production that you discover is how much you're suddenly going to have to lie to position your movie. You wouldn't believe it. Right. Oh yeah, right. even to naming what the budget actually was, it's amazing how, how convoluted yeah. and absurd it gets because everything positions you in a way uh, that's that's relative to an, an audience you're trying to trying to attract, trying to please, trying to placate, whatever. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so it could very well be, you know, it's like there are agreed upon talking points. Others we're not going to touch, whatever. There's an awful lot of sameness in interviews. I'm sure everyone has noticed that May, many of them come from press junkets where the, the, you know, the people involved, the director, the actors, the writer, perhaps are just talking to one person after another, um, unless they're doing some exclusive interview with somebody. So you'll, you will get a lot of sameness of responses and, and it's, and it is, I think 
what troubles me is it's contributing from what I've read. It's kind of contributing to a sense that this is a little thin. Hmm. Whereas it wouldn't okay. have to if they if there are more interesting things you've said them that could be said. Um, as this is actually a kind of curative movie or a jo- a movie that's meant to, to be an exhilarating jolt out of our typical neural pathways, which are right. born grooves in our brain um, at this point. So how about if we do something that's just not like that? Not at all. And we have to resort to fantasy to do it. So that's why it's a fantasy version of the Victorian world. Right. Um, we have to get rid of some things or it'll just drag you right back down the same pathway into the same discourse that you always have. So this is a way to sort of make you stop. See, that already makes it more exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I could give their press interviews, but I can't. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, no. And then, yeah, I, I, maybe they, they just know that's not going to compute for people. I don't know. It's easier, I, I think, to be like, to really harp on this is a woman without chain that we're thrilled to be able to represent because that will yeah. fit into a kind of rhetoric that's already available. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, should we talk a little bit about why they chose the Victorian era? I mean, I can think of the two probably most obvious ideas is that it's the era that's the most, how to say it, like hyper obsessed Mm. with female sexuality. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also the era that that owns people's imaginations. If if, when teaching film, any movie set manifestly in a time when people wore old period clothes the students all say the victorian era it's like the most famous era oh yeah it doesn't matter if it's what it is if it's georgian edwardian everything just gets folded into victorian i think because there's so many movies and tv shows Bridgerton kind of you know that are that are drawing on victorian era looks and mores and everybody knows about this this kind of sexual repression of the era or thinks they know right Right. Yeah. That's that's kind of how like our <laughs> our students, like whenever anything is in the 20th century, whether mm-hmm. it's the 20s, the 30s or the 40s, everyone thinks it's the 1950s. Everyone thinks <laughs> it's exactly it. Everyone thinks yeah. it's because it's the most somehow prominent decade of in America anyway, that is always harkened back to. That's exactly right. That's exactly so funny. Right. And and yeah. the other reason I, I could think is that Bella has to go adventuring. And of course, like the grand tour is such yeah. an important part of the Victorian imagination. And, right. um, I, you know, it's a colonial sort of like fantasy, but also a way to it's a it's a fairy tale way to travel because one travels in a way without risk, like maybe for the first time. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like uh you know, it's a time in human history where you can travel insulated, um, like amongst your own in relative luxury and ease. You don't have to be like um, a sailor. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And it's already, and it's already marked off class wise. You know, you have to yep. you have to have money to do the grand <laughs> tour. Right. And of course, a whole industry, you know, presumably grows up around it. You know, so that you that you know you, the places you can stay, the pla- the ways you can travel, it's all going to be made luxurious for you, and and they're going to make sure it's not dangerous, etc. Right. Yeah, right. but there's so. still that little hint of. So if you ever watch A Room with a View, you know that the tantalizing hint of forbidden sexuality and danger sort of attends upon it. You might witness a violent, you know, fight in a square. You might suddenly be kissed by a young man in a way you shouldn't. So there's a loosening of of the mores but but it just enough to be tantalizing right 
Yeah. yeah and it, it's like implied that you are British uh, or American, you know, if you go on this thing. So yeah. already your society is marked as like more staid and puritanical than right. the one into which you, you will be venturing. Yes, so. exactly. So you're doing a kind of touring of the less civilized world that's made exotic, but also safe for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, we can also talk about the, you know, the Franken. Oh, is there more? Do you have another point? No, about no, that's those were my points. <laughs> I mean, we could also talk about the 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 way it's repurposing Frankenstein. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the 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 name Godwin is from William Godwin. He was a radical philosopher. Um, uh, you know, he is an advocate for utilitarianism. So, the greatest amount of happiness that can achieve for the mo- be achieved for the most people in in mm-hmm. brief. Um, and anarchism. You know, absolutely serious skepticism about whatever governing force is given the power over others. Mm-hmm. Um, he was famous in his own right. He was also married to a woman who became quite famous, the feminist writer Mary Wollstonecraft. Um, what the heck is her name of her? Vindication of the Rights of Women, mm-hmm. or seminal feminist text. Um, they you know, were William, technically- William Godwin's her mother. Or, sorry, her father. She's, right? Yes, oh, no. very silly. Mary Shelley, oh, the daughter. I'm an of, ass. That's what I meant. Of William <laughs> yes. And Mary Wollstonecraft. So, 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 so what a lineage. Yeah. So when she writes, you know, when she writes Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus, you know, it's like, wow, well, you had to do something remarkable coming out of that. <laughs> when she's married to Percy Shelley, you know, it's an incredible, um, incredible and, you know, a kind of famous tale in its own right, attendance, attendant upon the Frankenstein um, um, narrative that becomes so seminal. We still, we still remake Frankenstein. We still talk about Frankenstein. It founds, it's a founding text in horror. It's a founding text in science fiction. It's, 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 it's a vital text. Um, So, so it's got all that, all that background in philosophy. And of course, if you read Frankenstein, you know, instead of just seeing one of the movies, you're going to encounter a very kind of enlightenment version of, of, of the monster whose version of trying to get on in the world without, you know, there's a whole thing. There's so many things going on in the book. There's a a critique of parenthood that that, that applies not only to the monster, but to Victor Frankenstein and other, other figures in the, in the text. So Mm -hmm. that's borrowed into um, four things so that Godwin's father and who knows what what Godwin's father's parenthood was like, but we get right. a lot about Victor Frankenstein's father and parents and the way they botched his education, specifically the father, mm-hmm. um, by not guiding him in what he's reading. So he starts reading forbidden scientific texts, and this is where he starts down his dark path toward um, a kind of forbidden science that's quote unquote playing in playing in God's domain, you know that kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, so there's that. There's a whole critique of education and the processes of education. Um, Mary Shelley was not given a formal education, though she was well-educated compared because of, you know, her parents who were free thinkers than most young women would have been. Uh, but there's a whole critique on the process of, you know, the, of, of how you acquire your knowledge of the world. And you see the pitiable figure of the monster, you know, wandering around, spying through, you know, through, through the windows of people's houses, watching, listening to them read aloud. How That's how he cobble, he's cobbling an education together. Mm-hmm. So it's a very kind of brilliant and erudite book and highly critical of the society, um, you know, of the dominant society that it's being, you know, that it's commenting on. 
So all of that is, of course, informing and, and part of um, poor things as well, which, you know, is always that's always fruitful and useful um, um, to have. I'm sure there's more than this that I'm not picking up on, but there's but there's plenty of what does it mean to have the education of a of this male monster. And then when you turn now, we're going to do a female monster. Keep in mind, there was also a fem- the threat of a female monster in um, the book. Mm-hmm. But Victor Frankenstein creates it and then immediately destroys it. And right. why? Because he's horrified at the idea that he will there will be bred a quote unquote a race of monsters. He thinks they'll actually be sexually viable with each other, these two dead flesh beings right. that have been electrified into, into life. Which brings us to another issue, which I'll just throw in there. One of the other areas that is completely not dealt with that's an area of reality is there's a point in the movie where I swore they were going to make Bella pregnant to where mm. she grows up she again. Up. Like, Me, oh, yeah, here we go. Too. Yeah. Because that's another of the kind of horrifying impediments to women's liberty is being, being you know, in the years, in the, you know, generations before birth, con- reliable birth control getting shoved toward motherhood, willing or no. And that's, again, removed. That's part of the removal of obstruction that goes on in poor things. Lots and lots yeah. of sex, no pregnancy for Bella. Yeah. Um, you just have to go with. But it's interesting that, that, that the, th- there's just an assumption. If you have the female monster, you're going to have the pregnancy. You'll have the children, to, and he won't, he won't allow that to happen. So he destroys her to prevent that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one wonders if Bella was made infertile when yeah. she was created. Um, mm-hmm. And I did wonder that, too, when she throws up. And it seems odd that it's never mentioned. Yeah, but... I, thought, I thought that's what they were going for. I was like, okay, yeah. here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but, you're, but I think having Godwin be the experiments made by his father made him impotent, he says. Uh-huh. So there could at least be an implication that they did something, but you, they don't. You don't find out what the what her state is as far as fertility and ability to bear children. It's true. It's true. And I, I mean, I wonder: is this a good time to talk about the performances? Oh yes, let's. They're great. They're absolutely great. And you're it, right. Like, Mark Ruffalo is so good. Is it Ruffalo or Ruffalo? I guess it's Ruffalo. I think it's Ruffalo. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, he's, phenomena i mean he's always a good actor but this is you, we just haven't do seen him do all of comedy before he's just great <laughs> hysterical he's yeah. yeah he's got this like wonderful accent that's mm-hmm. lispy yeah strangely um, lispy and unplaceable yeah. but yeah. somehow all about his you know kind of his kind of lightly depraved but not impressively depraved you know he's so easily yes. shocked after he's supposedly this guy who's who's done everything um sexually you know bella outdistances him effortlessly right um, right yeah and he's very quickly trying to rein her in and failing so it's very funny in that way yeah he's shown to be like a immediately bourgeois <laughs> yeah. The moment she embarrasses him at the table, you know, right. which is great. Yeah, right. right. And he just is coming unglued. That's another thing that the, that both uh, um, uh, Lanthimos and Stone love. They love the portrayal of how men just come unglued the minute a woman <laughs> a woman achieves any level of freedom from their control. They just can't. They just can't even cope. They don't even know what to do. So Godwin is helpless to like stop her from right. From just taking on a free life, he seems un- absolutely unable to cope. The, the, and the poor betrothed husband, played by um, what's his face? I love him, um, Rami Youssef. Rami Youssef, who's adorable, he really is. Yeah. He plays 
he plays what's his name in the movie uh, McCann Max, Max. McCandles who's the lab assistant and you know very worshipful lab assistant of of of, of Godwin Godwin Baxter um and he falls in love with Bella but he's so not able initially to cope with her that he also is just like she off she goes and just leaves him behind yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they do work out their relationship later. Well, she has a she has a kind of return home that seems built into a ki- certain kind of maturation process, mm-hmm. you know, to confront her own youth, her parentage, her you know everything that was left behind. So that all gets worked out later, right? And and she see like from the beginning, she sees the Mark Ruffalo character as someone to have an affair with, and mm. plans to return home to Max to marry him after she has that affair. Right, right. <laughs> She's very practical. She's like, yes. you're suitable for this. He is suitable for that. Right, right. Emma Stone uh, is like I- incredible. Like the stated she has to go through to, you know, as Bella to first be a toddler with the sort of like motor coordination and vocabulary of a toddler. Then she matures into, you know, like a teenager. And then she she's almost acts like a like a she certainly has um, the increased vocabulary of mm-hmm. an adult by the end. And and those stages, I mean, it's just fascinating. Like she must have had to have mapped out, okay, I have these movements at this mm-hmm. stage and these movements at the next mm-hmm. stage. And I'm just like, my mind is reeling, wondering if this was shot in order. It, or was. Out of order. it was almost okay. entirely with, with okay. only, there's only, I think it's one exception is where I think she maybe had to do the last scenes with the first scenes or something. It was like one okay. major exception that was tough. But otherwise, almost entirely in order, which, by the way, is super rare. That almost never happens in film. Right. But you you can understand why, because right. her progress is so, like, finely tuned. It's right. so impressive. If she, if she does not get Best Actress, oh, I I'm going to set something on fire. Oh, really? It will be an <laughs> and, you know, she's just become, you know, she's just come out the gate as, and just got, opened up a huge lead as far as, Daring and choosing material that's exciting and is going to be talked about. So at the same time, she's got this movie coming out. Um, she's um, she's in the TV show with Nathan Fielder. What the heck is the name of it? The Curse. The Curse. She's in The Curse, which we also did an episode on. You know, yeah. so she's just you just got to keep your eye on her because she just seems without even without even making any kind of song and dance about being a very ambitious actor. She is a very ambitious. <laughs> She's challenging herself with the material she's she's involved in and the people she's working with just all the time. So that's very exciting. Yeah, I think. Yo, go ahead. No, I was just going to say of any like A-lister Hollywood star doing any kind of projects right now. I think hers are the most exciting, like by far. Yeah. What you're you're now you should now be looking for what's Emma Stone doing. Yeah, Yeah. very very much. Yeah, we need so badly. Oh, God, I mean, yeah. You've got a lot of prestige people, but they're not, you know, but they're often not they're not doing and they're doing, quote unquote, prestige stuff, stuff right. that's already pre-approved based on high minded, best selling literature and stuff. And you're just like, oh, yawn, my God, strong. do something <laughs> a little bit daring. Do so, Use your power for good. For God's sake, A-listers, yep. what is wrong with you? But I don't think they know any better. Talk right. about people who are programmed, you know, so many fine, fine talents just move automatically toward the same pre-approved junk. It's really a sad thing. But yeah, yeah she just seems to have an instinct <laughs> for going for what's exciting. So that's really thrilling. 
And Willem yeah. Dafoe just does marvelous work as this, this this kind of monstrous looking. He's so horribly scarred; it looks like his whole face was disassembled and resewn together. Mm-hmm. Um, but he brings such you know kind of grave, melancholy kind of tenderness, and at the same time, a kind of clipped coolness about all matters of life, death, pain. You know, he can't react to those in the way <laughs> a person who was raised in less extreme circumstances does. But he he really does bring such quiet sweetness and melancholy. It's very it's a very impressive performance. It's true. He's what I did not recognize him. I mean, I could tell from his voice, I suppose, mm. and from from the fact that I saw his name on the poster. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, he was just incredible, totally unrecognizable. And the uh, the cameos in this thing are amazing. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned Gerard Carmichael, mm-hmm. who plays the cynic. Yeah. Um, and he accompanies this older woman on the ship, right. Hannah Shagula, which is like Fassbinder's muse. Oh, right. Um, that's right. I wondered. I was watching yes. going, that's got to be somebody. I didn't realize that's who it was. Yeah. It, so incredible luxury casting. And then the beloved Catherine Hunter, who we raved about, who mm-hmm. she played the witches in the Coen Brother, or yes. Coen Brothers. And got like totally that? stiffed as far as awards. Outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. outrageous that like the best character actress working insane mm-hmm. and she plays the madam here mm-hmm. um what did you think of her performance i mean i loved her she was less shocking i had never seen her before before Macbeth, so it was just the most startling performance she's yeah. physically practically at the level of a, of a professional contortionist she can do anything with her body she has a super dramatic voice, very, at least the way she can use it. She can make it so deep and raspy. She doesn't sound like anyone else. Yeah. So she's, she's really, you spend so much of your time, which is almost never true of performances, wondering about her. Like, who is this person? Who is this creature that she's sort yeah. of stretching in very, very rapidly? So I, you know, I always love her. I know I'm just, I look for her now. Yeah. Yeah, no, she she was incredible. She um she comes out as a tattooed woman. Yeah. Uh, like towards the end. Towards um the end. yeah, and she she's got this wonderful quality of like, I mean, I guess she's supposed to be like Bella. Um she herself is like hungry for mm-hmm. experience in the world and she's mm-hmm. always biting Bella. Yes. Like first she bites her ear. Yes. <laughs> then like, you know, a piece of her stomach and stomach. I, yes. Yeah. And Bella has to keep clapping hands over herself to try to protect herself a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but that's exactly the kind of thing she can get away with. Because there's a vague era of menace about her from the beginning. At the same time, she's being very understanding and kind of kindly. But you don't, you never feel sure what's going to happen next with her. So she's really, totally. really Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's there so many delights in the casting. So oh, for yeah. the actor performances alone, just, yeah, it's worth seeing just for that alone. And it's so, no, there's nothing like this. So that's the right. ultimate recommendation for cinephiles. There is nothing, there's no movie like this. Just you right. watch it for that. Yeah. Unique. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm like so curious to know what like normal people will think of this. Yeah. You know? I don't true. I don't have I don't have any like normie friends who've seen I this. I know. Yet, I don't but. know enough normal people who'd even know to go to this. You know, it's the people who go have heard about it because they're kind of not so normie already. So Right. Right. Um so the only people I've seen comment on it actually online have loved it, have raved mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm the one who's being the biggest downer of the people on my social media, which I think I'm qualifying already. I think you're right. It's 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 thrilling to see something that is 
again, it, it's unique. There, I can't think of another movie. I'm trying to think of any other movie that's like this movie, and I can't think of any other. Um, yeah. So it's really trying to chart fresh territory. It's true, even though, I mean, I'll I'll admit it, like, it doesn't have the bite of Lanthimos's other films, like yeah. The Lobster and The Favorite are fairly, oh, I don't know, there's, like, a real edge to them, mm. like, exposing the cruelty of the world. Yeah. This is not that. I yeah, mean, there no. are edgy things about it, but it's much more optimistic, which is really interesting. What Absolutely. a time. You're right. That's, I think that's also part of my surprise. It's just like, wow, he just decided to remove one of the main qualities <laughs> that distinguishes his work. He's removing the cruelty of the world. Yeah. Largely. I mean, there's there's little hints and things, but it's so soft compared to what Very you see in this other stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it's fascinating. Like mm. I said, I needed it. It seemed like an answer mm -hmm. to something uh, to the world at the moment. You know, there's a mm. lot of darkness yeah. and a lot of feeling of like immovable uh, suffering. Yeah. <laughs> and this this gave the feeling of possibility and movement. And that yeah. was, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I totally and, and you're right. There's there's a tremendous joie de vivre that's also rare now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's just like when she has sex and she, a lot of sex, she's like, why are people just doing this all the time? You know, it's just like there's <laughs> a kind of when she's eating champagne and oysters and just like, oh, my God, she just wants to touch things and be out there. And life itself is so exciting. Why are we not excited? That kind of thing. So that's, that exactly. is, that is a great way to start off <laughs> heading toward a new year. Yeah, it is. It is. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have any further thoughts. No, we, I think that's as good a wrap up as we're going to get. Okay. <laughs> so let's do that because <laughs> that is going to take us, carry us on into 2024. <laughs> Happy New Year all. And that, so that's it. So we're calling this episode Poor Things. Is it a great thing? At least in some ways, I think we're agreeing yes. Thank you, dear <laughs> listeners. And of course, triple thanks for our, to our subscribers who keep us in champagne and oysters. Um, <laughs> if you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the film site content instead of just the half that's publicly available. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more sensational and maybe even hopeful film site content. Until then, we thank you all as always. And again, Happy New Year! Happy New Year. Bye. Bye.